man, Pauline, second service, one of the delights of my life is being able to worship with you guys. It's like all your voices kind of get radiated down here towards the front. And uh, man, literally just to be able to, to worship with you and be down here and lift up our voices to Jesus is such a joy of mine, man. It's a blessing to be here. I want to welcome those of you guys on the live stream. Thanks for being here today. And before I jump into this sermon, man, can we just take a moment, give the Lord a little hand clap offering for the rain and cool weather that he's given us? Man. Been unbelievable, man. God gets all the glory for that. We say, you know, go ahead and send us some more. It'd be great. I know you guys were thinking I was going to say something about the Dallas Cowboys, but uh, it's just another week, man. But uh, it's good to be here today. I want to talk to you a little bit about God today. And I was thinking about this earlier. We talk about God probably every Sunday, but specifically about God this morning, particularly the God as revealed in the Bible. So when you talk about God, all right, there's a number of different Hebrew names given particularly for God in the Old Testament, all right? And the number one name is Elohim, and it's just translated in your Bible. So in the English Bible, it's always translated God, uh, G-O-D, Elohim. It means a supreme being. It means the mighty one, the living one. It's the God of the universe, the creating, creator God, Elohim, 2,700 times plus in the Old Testament, you see it. And sometimes the word Elohim will get shortened. It'll be, they'll combine it with another word such as Abraham. So you'll see the phrase, the God of Abraham. Well, what it is, it's El Abraham. They'll, they'll, they'll shorten Elohim down to just El and they'll say El Abraham or the God of Abraham. So we see God himself calling himself this in Exodus chapter three, verse six, when he talks to uh, Moses and he says, hey, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground for I am, Exodus chapter three, six, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. It's El Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, El Jacob. I am the living one of Abraham. Elohim, all right? And another name that you'll see a lot in the Old Testament is the, is the name Yahweh. We don't know exactly how to pronounce it because when they wrote the Bible, the Jewish people considered the name of God so holy they wouldn't pronounce it and they wouldn't write it. So sometimes they would just write uh, the vowels of it, uh, you know, and you would get Jehovah or Adonai or something like that, but they would never say Yahweh. And literally, by the time we got to the modern age, nobody actually knows exactly how to pronounce it because they never would pronounce it, all right? But this is the name, the, the name we see with Moses. When Moses, you know, God shows up to Moses in the burning bush and uh, he asks him, you know, Moses says, well, if they ask, you know, who sent you, what do I say? And, and God responds, this is in Exodus 3, 14, God's, which is Elohim, okay? Anytime you see God, it's Elohim, replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. That phrase, I am who I am, is the name Yahweh. Anytime you see Yahweh, so in, the, in your Bible, it's always spelled Lord, capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. That's the, that's the name of Yahweh. So if you see a translation where it says Lord, it's Yahweh. If it's God, it's Elohim. Now, there are other names for God in the Bible as well, and most of them have to do with something that God did and because of that, he revealed himself to that person in a way that he did something. And there's a number of these. I'll just give you a couple of examples. So you got Hagar, for instance. Hagar was Abraham and Sarah's slave. And, uh, you know, Sarah couldn't have any kids. So she says, hey, why don't you have a kid with Hagar and she'll become my kid. And, and so that happened. Abraham married Hagar and she gets pregnant. When she gets pregnant, Sarah got mad at her. 
and Sarah had a really bad attitude towards her, and, and uh, Hagar had a bad attitude towards back. And so at some point, Hagar fled. She, she ran off. And God meets her in the wilderness and asks her, dude, Hagar, what are you doing here? She says, well, my maidservants, she's been, she's been, uh, my master's been mistreating me, so I'm running. And she says, he says, look, man, you're, you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him Ishmael. All right, he's going to become a great nation. You need to go back and submit yourself to Sarah. And, and Hagar makes this statement. This is Genesis 16:3. So she named the Lord Yahweh, who spoke to her, you are El Roy. For she said, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me, El Roy, Elohim sees. The word Roy means sees, El Roy, the God who sees me. Have you ever come to know God that way? It's when you're going through a difficult time or a hard time and God just seems to show up at just the right time to encourage you, then you know El Roy, the God who sees you. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. He's the God who sees you. He's El Roy. Or you think about Abraham, when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and he takes him up on the mountain and puts him on the altar. And right before he sacrifices Isaac, what happens? He provides a substitution sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice, a ram caught in the thickets by its horns, which is a perfect picture of Jesus for us and our sin. And when Abraham sees that, he makes a statement. This is in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, 14. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord Yahweh will provide. Yahweh Jireh. Jireh means provide. Sometimes it's translated Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. If you ever got in a spot where you didn't have enough money to make it through and God came and provided for you, then you've come to know God as Jehovah Jireh. It's the God who provides for you. So these are the names, some of the names, there's a number of other ones you find in the Old Testament. Today, I want to look at the first one, Elohim, and I want to do it from Genesis chapter one, verse one. All right. Genesis chapter one, verse one. And we're in a series called Rooted. And uh, 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 in this week's lesson in Rooted, if you're doing this book, if you're in this series, the first week's lesson is who is God? All right. Who is God? And next week's lesson is how God speaks. Now, if there's ever anything you'd want to study, I think those maybe would be two of the top topics. Who's God last week? And, you know, how does God speak? So basically what we're doing is we're reading this book together, studying it in our small groups. And so if you don't have one, you'd like to get one, we'd love you to have one. There's a daily devotion in there because it talks about just spending time in the word every day, five devotions a week. And then we're studying it in our small groups. So the idea is that you would get a book, you would read it during the week. And then you would go over your answers in community somehow, either join a community life group, make your own small group, do it with your spouse, do it with your friends, get together some guys at work and go over it, do it in community and then come to church and we'll talk about it. So we got a few of these books left. I don't know how many, but if you can't afford a book, just go up there and say, I really can't afford one, but Kurt said I could have one. All right. And I'll pay you later or whatever, because I just assume you have it as it's set back there on a shelf, right? if you'll read it, all right? So anyway, we're in that series, Rooted and uh, How God Speaks. So I wanna encourage you just to get a book, get in community, and then you know go to church. Now, I was raised in a, in a small country church, First United Methodist Church, Quinlan, Oklahoma. Quinlan was a ghost town, and the only thing in this town was this church. Ran about 30 people, all right? And uh, when I started going there when I was a kid, it ran 30 people. When I went off to college, it ran 30 people. I watched a live stream of it the other day. It was still running 30 people. It's like you can't grow it and you can't kill it. It's just right there, you know. 
I learned a lot in that church. One of the things I really learned a lot of when I was a kid, we, our pastor preached our church and he preached another church. So we had to do church first and Sunday school later. So we had to do church at 8.30 in the morning. I learned that that's too early to do church, all right? 8.30 in the morning, we would go. But what had happened is after 8.30, uh, you know, you get a little break between Sunday school. And this was back, all the guys in the church at that time, like my dad was one of them, they were all World War II vets and they all smoked. So between church and Sunday school, all the men would go out on the little porch and smoke a cigarette. So I learned that my goal in life should be join those guys one day, right? This is what I learned in church. I wanna join those guys just to tell you how much church has changed, man. So don't be smoking out there in our comments, all right? Pass on that. But uh, one thing I did learn in that church, all right, I walked away from that church with this belief, there is a God, that there is a God, that there is a God that exists. There was something in me that just knew that there was a God. And the question is, how did I have that in me? And the answer is God put that in, in me because he created me. He put it in me because he created me, all right? Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God. The word Genesis is a phrase, the phrase in the beginning. The Hebrews would name their books of the Bible after the, whatever the book began with. And the phrase for in the beginning is a Hebrew word, Bereshith. And that word got translated in about 250 BC into the Septuagint. So in about 250 BC, they translated the Hebrew Bible, which Moses wrote the first five books, into Greek, and the Greek equivalent is Genesis. In the Genesis, in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't argue for the existence of God, it just makes a statement. God's the one that did it. In the beginning, God. You go back as far as you wanna go back, the creation of the universe, the creation of the world, you go on the other side of that before time began, before we were able to calculate time, right? And that's where you find God, in the beginning. You go back as far as you wanna go and God is there, he's just pre-existent. He is the pre-existent, eternal God, he's just there. And the first thing that God does is God initiates and he initiates this creation account. So it is a monotheistic God, all right? And when I say monotheistic, mono means one, theo means God, monotheism just means there's just one God. He's, it's written in a time of polytheism where they believe there's a whole bunch of God. The Bible shows up and says, hey, I got news for you, man, there's just one. You go as far back as you wanna go, all right? And God is there. God is the one that took the initiative. There was nothing and he created something out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The order is this, it's God, the universe, and then the earth. Now the earth, verse two, was formless and empty or formless and void. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there were light, there was light. So the first thing you need to see is this God initiates. God is the one that initiates. If you just take this idea and track it all the way through the New Testament, it's always God that initiates. When we talk about Jesus, Jesus is the one that was sent because God is, initi is the one that initiated sending him. God is always the initiator. It was his idea. Why would God create the world? Because God is a God of love. 
And he wanted to create someone he could have a relationship through which he could show his love. So he takes the initiative to create. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When we talk about God, it's one God, monotheistic. And you see the Bible teach this. For instance, Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right? It's like this. Listen, Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, is one. The idea of Yahweh is the more of an idea of a personal God. That's why it's translated Lord. God is Lord, but you'll never know him as Lord unless you make him his Lord. When he becomes your Lord, then you know Yahweh. Otherwise, he's just God. Right? But he's one. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians, God is one. But at the same time, the Bible teaches that he is one God in three persons. One God, three persons. It's the Trinity. He's a triune God. He's one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see all three of them in the, in the original Genesis account because you have the, you know, you have God creating the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery death. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God, so there's the spirit and God, God said. When God spoke, he spoke a word. And that word is Jesus. All right. So in the Old Testament, the word spirit and the word breath are the same word. So when you speak, it's your breath that gives power to your words to go out so that you can hear me. In the same way, when God spoke, it was the Holy Spirit that gave the word the power to create the world. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all involved in the beginning of creation. So let me just read another passage of scripture to you. New Testament now, John chapter 1, Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning... Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, the Word. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. It then drops down to, first, to John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who is it that became flesh and dwelt among us? We're obviously talking about Jesus. The word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we have God that willed it and spoke it. He spoke the word, which is Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit to do creation. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, that God revealed himself through Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And this is the whole argument of John. When the disciples are like, man, just show us God. And Jesus is like, man, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Because Jesus and God are one. Jesus is the exact radiance and representation of God in the flesh. All right? 
Now you might say, well, what, 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 what's that mean for me? Well, you see this idea of the Trinity played out in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, when God gets down to creating mankind. This is 126 of Genesis. Then God said, Elohim, let us make. Let God, Elohim, one God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. They're, the responsibility of mankind is to rule and reign over this earth. God said, let us make. Who's us? He's talking about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We, 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 pro, we proclaim the Trinity every time somebody gets baptized. Man, we, we didn't baptize anybody today. Somebody should have got baptized, right? We'd be baptizing next Sunday. What do we do when somebody gets baptized? We do the same time every time because the Bible tells us to. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right? One God three persons. We're created in the image of this God. What does that mean for us? That means that we are created with the need to be in relationship with God. There's something within us when we were created because we were created in the image and likeness of God. He's a God in relationship before time began. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect relationship with one another. We're created in the image of God, which means there's something within us that desires to be in relationship with God. There's something inside of you that is empty until you meet that relationship. And so you're always trying to fill up this emptiness inside of you until you finally, what you're created for, have a relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, then you're always trying to fill it. But the problem is it's not ever, it never satisfies you because that's not what you were created for. You know, like Mick Jagger would say, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> you can fill in your own words. I work and I work and I work and I work and I still can't get no satisfaction. I party and I party and I party and I party and I still can't. Something's still empty on the inside of me. And I drink and I drink and I drink and I drink. Or I do drugs, I do drugs, I do drugs. I can't just get, I get up the next day and I'm still empty. Because you're created for relationship with God. Until you satisfy that, you'll never truly find rest. That seventh day of rest, man, it means more than taking a day off. It means peace with God, shalom, fullness, flourishing. No matter what situation on the outside, when you've got peace with God on the inside, you can flourish, right? A relationship with God. This is hence you were created. God initiates our creation and he initiates this desire on the inside of us. And then the second thing that this God does is he creates. He initiates and he creates. So if we had time to go down through all six days of creation, it'd be pretty fascinating. But if you've ever read this, uh, you know, for all the people out there that are skeptical, it, it, and you can go home and read it. You'll probably want to after I tell you this. But when you read it, you're like, dude, he messed up the order. Because he creates light in day one, but he doesn't get to the sun until day four. And everybody knows light comes from the sun, so it must be messed up. I'm not sure we could trust it. 
The question is, what was wrong with the earth when God first saw it? It was formless and void. It was formless and empty. That word formless means it was desolate. desolate. It was in confusion. It was all messed up. It wasn't good. It wasn't working. It was just a big lump. Darkness hovered over it, right? And it was void. It was empty. So the first thing that God does is he gives it form. So on the first three days, he gives, he gives creation form. So on day one, he creates light and he separates the darkness from the light. He creates light on day one. On day two, he separates the sky from the waters below. He separates the water into a, the, the, the seas and the sky. And so he makes the sky on day two. On day three, he separates the land from the water and he creates the earth. All right? He forms it on the first three days. One, two, three. On the last three days, he fills that which he has formed. On the first day, he created, he separated the darkness and created light. So on day four, he creates the planets and, he, and the stars and the sun and the moon. He filled that which he had formed. On day two, he, you know, he creates the sky and the water. So on day five, he creates the fish and the birds. On day three, he creates land. So on day six, he fills it with animals and people. The first three days, he forms it. The last three days, he fills it. You look at that and say, it's still messed up because he didn't create the sun till the fourth day. He gave light on the first day. But the reality is, God doesn't need the sun to create light. He started the world without the sun. And guess what? Heaven's not going to have a sun. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, the city, talking about heaven, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. God doesn't need it, right? Now, when you look at the creation account, there's lots of different accounts of the theories that people come up to about the, the days. And uh, some people say, well, it's a literal 24-hour day, you know, six days straight in a row. And uh, others say, you know, and that when God created stuff, it was old. Like when he created Adam and Eve, they weren't a baby. They were like an 18-year-old guy or a 20-year-old guy or whatever. So the day he created Adam, he was 20 years old or whatever. He looked mature even though he was only one day old. That's the way he did the world. He created it. It looked like it was only one day old, but it looked like it was 600 million, whatever. That's the one day, literal day. Some people say, well, it's an age day theory. Each day was a long age. Some people say there's an intermediate day where you had a 24-hour period, then you had a long period in between day number two, all different kinds of things people put out there. For all the literal days, uh, I just want to remind you that a literal day is 24 hours. We calculate that by the sun. That's how long it takes to go around the earth. But the sun wasn't around till day four. And the second thing is day seven still hasn't ended yet. Every other day, there was a sun, there was a, you know, sun went down, sun came up, but uh, there was night and there was morning, except for the seventh day, they didn't get that, and so we're still in it. So anyway, the point is not how God did it. The point is that God did it. The point of Genesis is not how God did it, but it's just the fact that God did it, that God is in 
control that he initiated and he created and he created it himself. Why is that significant? Monotheistic. One God created everything because it came into a polytheistic world. And polytheistic means there's all these different gods. They control a little bit of my universe or they control a little bit of my life. Right? So you've got the Egyptians that were polytheistic, the Canaanites that were polytheistic, the Romans, the Greeks, you know, we was Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodites or, or the Baal, you know, or, or Asher, they're all polytheistic. And, and basically God says, man, why are you worshiping the sun? The Egyptians worship the sun. Why are you worshiping the sun? I created it. Why do you worship moon? Ur of the Chaldeans where Abraham came, they were the moon worshiping center of the world. Why are you worshiping the moon? I created it. Why are you worshiping the bull? Why do you have the golden calf? I created it. I'm in control. One God. I have absolutely control over everything. Guy's trying to make a point. I'm in control. There's one true God. He initiated it. He created it. And number three, he reveals himself. And this might be the best news possible that God reveals himself, all right? I mean, if you just think about it, uh, if, if, you know, three ways God cre- reveals himself, creation, the Bible, and through Jesus. Creation, the Bible, and through Jesus. So we start talking about God revealing himself. Uh, think about creation. God reveals himself through creation just in the complexity of the human body, the glory of the Rocky Mountains, majesty of the sunset, just the stuff, that's how things grow, the, the, the universe, when you look at the stars and the skies and how everything always works according to time. We can, look at, we can look at the heavens and know that there is a God. And for all my men in the room that are in our men's Bible study, we're studying the book of Romans on Wednesday nights at 6. You can still get on it. Paul puts it this way, for his invisible attributes, that is his internal power and divine nature, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. God put something in us when he created us that said there's a God and we can look at creation and know that it's out there. So the guy named Isaac Newton, you know, he's the one that basically came up with the theory of gravity. He discovered gravity. And he made this, he was an astronomer, so he made this little model of the solar system with the sun in the middle and all the planets around it. And the planets would sp- sw- you know, spin around at the appropriate rate, and then they would all go around the, the sun at the appropriate rate. And he made this thing, and he used a bunch of belts and cogs and pulleys and all this stuff. It was kind of a little thing that he'd invented to demonstrate the solar system. One guy, guy came in to visit him who was an atheist, and the guy came in and he saw it there on his desk all working, and he's like, that thing is fascinating. He said, who made it? And uh, Sir Isaac Newton said, nobody. Because that's what an atheist would say. It all just happened by accident. In reality, when you look at the, the creation and the way everything works together, man, there's something within us that just says there is a God. Years ago, I went on a mission trip to the Maldives. The Maldives is located off the southern coast of India in the Indian Ocean. It's kind of like the Bahamas for Europe. All the really, really rich people go there because they have unbelievable weather. They have these islands that are just set aside as resorts. But we went to minister to the local, local people. So we stayed like 10 days on a local island and just lived with them and did whatever they did. And every day, dude, they ate fish. They went fishing every day and that's what they, you ate fish for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. 
Literally, I was there and I had a guy on my team ask this 16-year-old kid one time, what do you like to eat besides fish? And the kid said, what else is there? That was all we ate, man. Ten days while we were there. We went out on this boat. There was this handmade boat. They had these little boats that they would make. They would literally just make them by hand with a hatchet and this old awl and stuff. It'd be about 20-foot long boat. Had a little motor on the back of it. We were going from one island to the next. The water over there is this turquoise blue, aqua blue. It's just unbelievably beautiful, man. And there's these dolphins jumping alongside the boat. And, and, and they would take these little fish hooks and just tie a little piece of plastic on there, throw it out behind the boat, tie it to the edge of the boat. And then they would lay back and put the, the fishing string between their toes. And they would lay back and take a nap. And sooner or later, some fish would hit that hook. And they would just get up and pull it in like this, hand over hand. They catch these like 30-inch long tunas, this yellowfin tuna. They just throw them in the bottom of the boat, throw their hook back out there. It was like paradise. And one day I was out there, I saw a whole school of flying fish. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? A flying fish. They literally get going so fast, they come alongside the boat, and they get going really fast. They come up out of the water, and these wings on the side of their body spread out and they glide for like a hundred yards. I was just sitting there looking at that going, who could even create that? Who would even make this stuff up, man? You just look at creation. You're like, there has to be a God that put this whole thing together, right? I was there with a guy named uh, Neil Grant and and, uh, he had an iPod and he had his earbuds in. We were laying there on this boat, and he gave me one of his earbuds, and the song God of Wonders was on, which is an older song, but it goes like this, Lord of all creation, of heaven, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacle, glory to the Lord on high. And right then, man, I was like, man, the reality of God in creation reveals God to us. But what I want to tell you is this this morning, it's not enough that you believe in God. You might be here today and you say, well, I believe in God, but believing in God isn't enough, right? You're just like, well, I believe in the big man upstairs. Not going to do you any good. Just because you believe in God is not enough. It says in James chapter 2, 9, that the demons, you believe God is one, good job. The demons believe the same thing and shudder. The demons believe in one God. Demons believe in God. It's not the, the fact that you believe in God. You have to come to know God. And the only way you can know God all right, is through his son, Jesus. But God, because he loves you, has revealed himself to you in a way that you can understand. So when you come to church on Sunday morning, all right, the greatest miracle you'll see in the whole place. So man, I'd like to come to church to see a miracle. I'm going to show you a miracle, all right? You want to see a miracle? This right here is a miracle. Because this is God's revelation to you. Let me give that a round of applause. I, I know... You're kind of thinking, dude, you're holding up a Bible. I'm holding up a Bible. This is God's revelation to you, spoken in a way that you can understand. Because of this, you know God's name. Because of this, you know God's ways. Because of this, you know where you came from. Because of this, you know where the universe came from. Because of this, you have the opportunity to have a relationship and know the God of the universe that you can, so that you can be saved. We did this series, What If? What if God wants to use you? And now we're following it up with the rooted so that God can prepare you so that he can use you. 
because God uses the most unlikely people. So you can think about Moses, for instance. Moses was an unlikely person. He was 80 years old when he was called. Moses was born as a slave in Egypt. His, the Egyptians had been slaves for 400 years. He was born as a slave in Egypt. And because there were so many Egyptians, the Pharaoh put out a demonic decree that any male baby that was born had to be thrown into the Nile River. Okay? But if you're in the ladies' Bible study, you know this because you're studying it on Wednesday night. But Moses' mother, Jochebed, by faith, kept Moses alive and hid him. And then when he got so old she couldn't keep him hidden anymore, she put him in a little basket, put him in the Nile River, where he gets discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses gets raised as Pharaoh's own son. And according to Acts chapter 7, verse 22, he was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. All right? And he was a, a strong leader. But then when he was 40 years old, he kills an Egyptian. He has to flee for his life. He spends 40 years in the wilderness. He's 80 years old when God shows up one day speaks to him. I got a job for you. I need you to go down there and tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, if you're God, why do you want to use Moses? And I think God's up there having a conversation with Jesus going, maybe we should use Moses. And they're like, why should we use Moses? He's 80 years old. And God says, well, he has great leadership potential. He's not afraid of Pharaoh because he's been in Pharaoh's court. He speaks the Egyptian language and he can write. Can you just think with me a minute? What do you estimate the literacy rate was of an Egyptian Hebrew slave in 1440 BC? Slim to none. In fact, probably zero. The people, a Hebrew slave could actually write. I mean, the world literacy rate was about 3% if you were extremely wealthy. If you were a slave, but Moses, you see, God had a plan for Moses' life that began when he was created. He had a miraculous birth. When he was a young man, he was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians, which means he could speak Egyptian and he could write. Then when he was older, he got sent into the desert and spent 40 years in a trial in his life until God called him to do this task. And think about the stuff that Moses got to see. I mean, the 10 plagues. He brought, you know, he turned the, he darkened the sun. He made the, turn the Nile into blood. All the gods of Egyptians, he crushed them with 10 plagues, a firstborn son. And then he gets the whole nation of Israel out. They get trapped by the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea. He grows across on dry ground. He had manna that came down from heaven. He had water come out of a rock. He had God come down on Mount Sinai and give him the 10 commandments and speak to him as a man speaks to him face to face. I mean, of all the miraculous things that Moses did, you know what the most important thing was that he did of everything that Moses did? Dude, as he's thinking, wrote it down so that you could read it. It's absolutely unbelievable that God, because he loves you, has gone to all the trouble to reveal himself to you in a way that you can read it so that you can have a relationship with him. Right? And just like God had a plan for Moses, you know what I believe? God's got a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Man, God has given us the greatest gift possible, the revelation of himself. He did it through creation. He did it through the Bible. Ultimately, we'll see next week, he did it through Jesus, all right? But man, we talk about how God speaks. Man, God wants to speak to you 
right here. Through that, he wants to have a relationship with you that will change your life. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our band to come back out. We're just going to close with one last song. But before we do that, I just want to pray. If you'd bow your heads for a moment, you might be here today. And, man, you're going through a hard time. You know what? Elroy sees you. And just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean that he's not working a plan that you cannot see. Moses, when he was on the backside of the desert, thought that God was done with him. In reality, God was just preparing him for what he had for him next. And God has revealed himself to us so that we can know him. So, Father, I pray today for the people in this room that they might understand how valuable they are in the eyes of God, that God sees them and God cares about them and God desires to have a relationship with every person in this room. He's gone to all the trouble to reveal himself in a way that we can understand. We can read it. So God, will you open our minds and our eyes to see the reality of God that we might pursue him because you tell us if we seek you, we'll find you. Would you stir up within us something that would cause us to seek you, that we might find you and come to know you? I pray in Jesus' name.